0: Hello, and welcome to the Hypochondriacs Almanac Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. Before we get started, I just want to wish everyone Happy New Year and give our standard little set of disclaimers. We're not doctors, nurses, or medical professionals of any kind on this show, so please don't take what we say as medical device. If you have an issue, see a doctor. Don't take anything on this show as any sort of advice or diagnosis, okay? So let's talk about the first article for the day, and this is a topic that I've always been interested in, and it's how does excess sugar affect the developing brain throughout childhood and adolescence? A neuroscientist who studies nutrition explains, and Linda Bigdosh wrote this article. Parents often stress about their kids' sugar intake, but it can be hard to know how much is too much or what to do about it. Glucose, a simple sugar that forms the basis of most carbohydrate-rich food, is the primary source of energy for the brain. Healthy brains require a continuous source of energy and nutrients to fuel growth, learning, and development. However, that doesn't mean extra consumption of sugar is good for the developing brain. In fact, too much sugar can actually be detrimental to the growth of the brain. The author of this article is a clinical nutritionist and a nutrition scientist with a neuroscience focus whose research revolves around understanding the impact of diet and lifestyle on brain function and well-being. Preliminary results from the research this author did indicate that consumption of sugary food is associated with mental distress, such as anxiety and depression, as well as disrupted sleep. Sources of Sugar in a Kid's Diet Processed foods like donuts, sodas, and sweetened cereals often contain added sugars. Unfortunately, these foods tend to be easily accessible to children and teenagers, whether it be after sports games or at birthday parties. Chemically processed foods are those that have been altered by adding components not naturally found in them. These foods often contain added sugars, preservatives, salts, and trans fats. All of these are aimed at increasing taste, texture, or shelf life. As a result, processed foods have a lower nutritional value than whole foods, like fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. One of the most common sweeteners in the U.S. food products is high fructose corn syrup, which contains not only glucose, but another simple syrup called fructose. Too much fructose has been associated with increased body fat. High fructose corn syrup is found in sodas, baked goods, muffins, donuts, and all those other types of things, diet, brain, and function. Certain dietary components, like amino acids, form the basis of proteins and act as precursors for brain chemicals. Amino acids also play important roles in mood, learning, and cognitive functions. Like car engines that require the proper fuel to run efficiently, brains also require an adequate diet for optimal functioning. The brain is made up of nerve cells or neurons and housekeeping cells called glial cells. Although these two types of brain cells have different metabolic needs, glucose is the primary source of energy for both. Despite the fact that brain accounts for only 2% of the human body weight, it requires about 20% of the human's energy needs to perform all of its functions, including learning, memory, and cognitive processes. Research suggests that this number is even higher in children whose brains and bodies are developing rapidly. Brain function and growth are regulated by brain chemicals known as neurotransmitters, which should dictate the architecture of brain development. Depending on the stage of brain growth, an imbalance of critical neurotransmitters may cause a myriad of ailments affecting learning, mood, and behaviors. Similarly, a low-quality or imbalanced diet, such as one high in processed sugar, can throw off the brain's chemical equilibrium. Excess sugar puts the brain into overdrive. Because glucose is the primary source of energy to the brain, too much sugar can put it into an overdrive mode. When the brain is overstimulated, it can lead to hyperactivity and mood swings. However, these behavioral changes are only the short-term consequences. Some evidence suggests that this brain hyperactivity in adolescence is linked to cognitive deficits in adulthood as well. Sugar has an addictive effect because it stimulates neural in the brain's reward system, known as the limbic system. When activated, the limbic system generates high emotions like pleasure, which reinforces further sugar consumption. In addition, within the limbic system, there is a tiny structure which processes emotional information. Overactivation of this tiny structure in the brain is associated with exaggerated emotions of fear and anxiety. Research suggests that there is a strong relationship between high sugar consumption, altered behaviors, and poor emotional regulation. Although sugar intake may boost mood momentarily, chronic sugar consumption has been linked with increased risk of mental health problems. Studies in lab animals also suggest that high consumption of sugar hinders learning and memory. Interestingly, daily intake of sugar-sweetened beverages during teenage years is associated with worsening of performance on learning and memory tasks during adulthood. The researchers of that study suggest that this impairment could be due to alterations in gut bacteria. Considering the mounting body of evidence, the seemingly irresistible sweetness of sugar can translate into a bitter outcome for the developing brain. Very interesting. Second article, and this one seems like my worst nightmare, It came out in USA Today, and it was written by Gabriella Miranda, and it's called, Florida Woman Gets 1.75 Million from Salon That Injured Her Foot During a Pedicure, Forcing Amputation. A Florida woman received 1.7 million in a settlement with a nail salon, which she sued after receiving a pedicure that injured her foot, forcing doctors to amputate her leg. In 2018, Clara Shellman said she visited Tammy's Nails 2 in Tampa and an employee cut her foot during the treatment. Soon after, her foot became infected and worsened due to her severe peripheral artery disease, which reduces blood flow to the limbs. Shellman, 55, alleged that the salon, which is now closed, used dirty tools and equipment that endangered the customers. Our client suffered an amputation as a result of a trip to a nail salon, Paul Fulmer said in the lawsuit. While no amount could fully compensate her for this life-altering injury, this deserved settlement may help her cover the high cost of her medical bills and her ongoing care. Sheldman said her amputation resulted in hardships, including the loss of her home, medical bills, and the ability to walk, the Tampa Bay Times reported. In response to the suit, Camby's nails too argued Shelman was responsible for her injuries because she did not immediately seek medical care or take reasonable efforts to prevent the development of an infection. On December 16th, Shelman reached the $1.7 million settlement and told Tampa Bay Times she was stunned, shocked, crying and giddy all at the same time and that is why it is so important to kind of check out the safety conditions and the cleanliness at any salon before you do go there to get a pedicure. Make sure they're licensed, make sure everything is neat and tidy and make sure the tools have been sanitized before you get a pedicure there. These things are all super important. Next article, this simple breathing technique could help fend off illness and ease stress. Mary Anderson wrote this article and it came out in Shape magazine. If you hum while you read this, your body could experience beneficial side effects from the vibrations. For one, the resulting oscillation as you exhale helps circulate healthy, nitric rich air within the nasal sinuses, which causes a better environment to help protect against pathogens. If you do 10 seconds of humming, all the air is exchanged, says Eddie Weitzberg, MD, a researcher at Karolinski University Hospital in Sweden. With normal breathing, it takes between half an hour and an hour. The better ventilation may help guard against sinus infections, especially those prone to recurrent ones, this doctor said. Previous research by Dr. Weisberg and his colleague also found that people who hummed as they steadily exhaled through their nose for five seconds increased the amount of nitric oxide in their nasal cavity pumped in from the sinuses, which have stores of it, by 15 times compared with exhaling normally for five seconds. That spike in nitric oxide presents an opportunity to get more salubrious gas into the lungs, says Lou Ignaro, PhD, an emeritus professor of molecular and medical pharmacology at UCLA. This doctor actually won a Nobel Prize for his findings about nitric oxide. After you finish humming, if you immediately breathe in through capture quite a bit of nitric oxide, they say. The huge benefits of getting that injection into your lungs, which work to produce the gas themselves, nitric oxide helps cells throughout the body to destroy pathogens, and it's also both a vasodilator, which helps blood vessels open wider, and a bronchiodilator, which expands airways. Nitric oxide dilates the pulmonary arteries and veins so more blood can get into the lungs and therefore pick up the oxygen. It also widens the airways, the trachea, and the bronchioles so more oxygen can get in and get picked up by the increased blood getting in. Better circulation means your body is getting more fuel for its inner workings, immune functions included. Then there's the crucial direct detox. Nitric oxide in the lungs will kill or inhibit the growth of many bacteria, parasites, and viruses, especially the coronavirus, they say. Meanwhile, your humming is also creating vibrations in the inner ear that are being picked up by the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve in the body, which starts at the brain stem and runs to the belly. This power cord is the bio-directional highway of communication between body and brain. A study in the International Journal of Yoga said that five minutes of humming, the humming bee breath in yoga, increased vagus nerve activity as measured by improved heart rate variability. That rhythmic rise and fall of the heart rate in synchronization with the breath in its optimal zone is actually putting the brain into what's often referred to as a flow state. Having your system in flow translates to many health benefits, including less stress. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to give that a little shot and see what happens, right? Couldn't hurt. Next article. Synthetic alcohol promises to make drinking safer, but experts Jamie Ducarme wrote this article, and I found it very, very interesting, but our ancestors started drinking booze millions of years ago, and we never stopped. Alcohol is embedded into nearly every culture in the world as a social lubricant, marker of taste, and cornerstone of celebrations. If companies tried to bring it to the market for the first time today, however, U.S. regulators would probably forbid it. More than 200 health conditions from cancer to dementia to cirrhosis have been linked to alcohol. And it contributes to 3 million deaths globally each year, many via auto accidents and suicides. And in the US alone, more than 14 million people struggle with alcohol use disorders. It's dangerous, right? Even though billions of people ingest it with hardly a second thought. But what if you could get the buzz of a good drink without the buzz killing side effects? That's the marketing hype bubbling up from startups around the world making beverages that promise to make you feel tipsy using the magic of plant extracts and not alcohol. These companies claim that after a botanical beverage you'll feel more sociable and relaxed without getting drunk. This eliminates the hangover and bad decisions that sometimes follow a night filled with booze. One such startup is the UK based Gabalabs and they launched their first product which is an active botanical spirit called Sentia, earlier this year in Europe. Centia is made up from plant extracts that can mimic the effects of alcohol and are meant to top out around the feeling of having a glass or two of wine. But the founders want to go even further. They've created a not-yet-for-sale synthetic alcohol molecule that they say can be used to create dupes of any booze on the market, from beer to rum to champagne. Can you imagine that? The company's founders don't yet have enough evidence to legally make claims about their product's health effects, but the implication is pretty clear. Synthetic alcohol could capture the good parts of drinking while ditching the death and disease associated with it. But experts are not convinced. Things that sound too good to be true usually are, according to some medical experts who are specializing in addiction, and they say there's always the promise of some new molecule that's going to do exactly what the old molecule did but not have the harmful effects every single time that has not panned out, they say. Heroin, for example, was intended to be a safer form of morphine, e-cigarettes were pitched as a less dangerous way to smoke, but neither one of these has worked out in a safe way, right? Can alcohol really be faked in a healthy way or would a synthetic version introduce new risks? Is it possible to create a product that imitates alcohol without introducing the possibility of addiction or dependence? And could fake alcohol make people already struggling with alcohol use disorders be more likely to relapse? Given the significant harms caused when alcohol is misused, this is an interesting approach. However, it does raise a series of questions that we do not have the answers for yet, say the experts. On a recent weeknight, the author of this article poured herself a glass of Gabalabs botanical product, Sentia, must have ordered it online. In any case, she mixed it with seltzer water over ice and the burgundy liquid actually looked like a cocktail that she might have ordered at a pricey New York City bar. She tasted notes of rose and winter spices followed by a slightly bitter aftertaste. Her boyfriend tasted it as well and said that it quote unquote tasted like plants so I don't really know how good it could potentially be but the author felt that it really did feel like a cocktail and found herself behaving as though it were. She took slow, small sips, and relaxed into the experience. By the time she finished her drink, she felt mellow and a little fuzzy around the edges as if she'd had about a half a glass of wine. The effect wasn't dramatic, but it did more or less deliver on the promises. But how? The answer is in the name Gaba Labs, which was co-founded by David Nutt, who is a neuropsychopharmologist who used to lead clinical science at NIAAA. He's infamous for arguing, based on research he co-published, that alcohol is more dangerous to society than heroin or crack cocaine, he is also a vocal proponent of expanding the use of psychedelics. Not formulated sentia by mixing botanical compounds that could stimulate the activity of GABA in the brain, which is gamma amniobutric acid, or GABA, and this is a neurotransmitter that produces calming signals to the brain. Alcohol also mimics the effects of GABA, which is why after a glass of wine or beer, you might feel anxiety and stress subside. But if one glass turns into too many, you might end up feeling a loss of control, coherence, and eventually consciousness. Nutt wanted to avoid that risk with Sentia. We don't want to produce a massive stimulation, he said. We've also worked to develop compounds which work relatively shortly so they get in fast and get out fast. Senti is not the only product of its kind on the market, though. Ken Euphorix, Gia, and Psychedelic Water are three of several startups selling alcohol-free beverages that use plant compounds to create a slightly buzzy, relaxing sensation. All three have trendy bragging rights, and supermodel Bella Hadid is a partner in Ken She Gia was founded by ex-Glossier Executive, and Psychedelic Water went viral on TikTok this year. All told... Non-alcoholic spirit sales in the U.S. grew by almost 300% from 2016 to 2020, according to beverage industry research. Labs is also working on bringing the synthetic alcohol it invented to the market. The botanical is wonderful, but it's not near as strong or effective as the synthetic version of alcohol that has created, says Labs co-founder David Oren. As Oren describes it, the synthetic molecule works in much the same way as Sentia does, only better and without any planty type flavor making it more versatile. But the testing required to take it to market would take years of research and piles of money. Centia is a sort of stopgap measure. Since it's plant-based and uses ingredients already used in food products and supplements, bringing it to the market is much more straightforward. Without clinical trials for the synthetic molecule and limited studies in Centia, Orn and Nut are limited in the promises they can make about their products' effects they're perfectly willing to raise the possibility that they could have big payoffs. If you want to have a good effect that you might expect from alcohol without a lot of the things some people don't want, including breast cancer and liver failure and shrinking of your brain, then it's worth thinking about things we're thinking about. The concept of synthetic alcohol has potential, say experts. Any time that we can reduce harm associated with the things we do on a daily basis is a positive thing. However, the public really needs to be Cautious with new products that promise all of the good of a vice without the negative side effects. We just don't have any research and we don't have data to back any of it up at this point. There may be some unintended consequences to consider too. What happens if someone combines fake alcohol with real alcohol or prescription drugs? Oren says they haven't specifically studied that possibility when it comes to Centia, but concede that there is a risk of everything. Powell from the NIAAA also notes that a single alcoholic drink can increase the risk of car crashes and other accidents, so any substance that alters someone's mental state, however slightly, needs to be carefully examined. Orin urges people to treat sentia with great respect in terms of driving or operating physical machinery. Any product that promises neurological rewards could also become habit-forming, say experts. There's no way to get a euphoric effect or relaxant effect and not have the same kind of rebound phenomenon, experts say. In terms of biological systems, there's no free lunch. While Orin and Nutt can't promise their products won't be habit-forming without clinical trials, Nutt emphasizes that he's been working in psychopharmacology for decades and developed some of the methodologies used for assessing tolerance. Then there's the marketing. I would want to be very careful about how a product that boasts no hangovers and getting drunk without any of the negative effects will be perceived by teenagers and how it will be marketed accordingly. The Sentia label says the product is not recommended for anyone younger than the age of 18. Experts also say that the synthetic alcohol makes them think of e-cigarettes, a harm reduction product that comes with drawbacks. Like synthetic alcohol, e-cigarettes were invented to help keep the good parts of the dangerous habit, the ritual, the sensation of dragging on a cigarette, and the nicotine while eliminating many of the harmful components. Also, like synthetic alcohol, many experts worried there wasn't adequate research to prove their benefits and rule out their harms. And their appeal to younger people sparked a teenage epidemic, with teens vaping becoming so widespread that lawmakers and regulators enacted drastic restrictions on e-cigarette marketing and sale affecting both underage users and the adult smokers for whom they were intended. Body research, questionable marketing tactics, and minimal safeguards against underage use ultimately tainted whatever promised was associated with e-cigarettes, and their rise and fall portends a fate that could befall synthetic alcohol companies if they are not careful. But Orin believes the world is ready for a product like this. Alcohol is a wonderful thing that's brought a lot of people together, but there's a huge downside to it. And it's an unnecessary downside, Warren says. If we can deliver this, imagine what that means for families in the future. Imagine what that means for our ability to relax. I guess we will wait and see on that one. Five things to do in 2022 for better heart health, according to the American Heart Association. And this article was written by Leah Goggins and came out originally in Eating Well. After a few weeks of enjoying rich meals and seasonal sweets, the New Year marks a fresh start for many, and that means making some healthy changes. Whether you're looking for a little post-holiday reset or some tips to stick to for years to come, you might appreciate some guidance on how exactly you can make changes that are easy to stick to. Luckily for those looking to improve their heart health, the American Heart Association just started a roundup of easy-to-achieve goals and resolutions that will help you take care of your ticker in the New Year. The most important thing is to set realistic expectations and start with small changes that you can amp up over time, said the American Heart Association volunteers. And if you get off track, don't be discouraged or give up. Maintaining a healthy lifestyle takes time, so be kind to yourself and realize that making a new healthy start doesn't always coincide with January 1st. Even if your heart health isn't your top concern in the new year, you can't go wrong staying on top of your cardiovascular well-being. Sadly, heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States, according to the Centers for Disease Control, and a recent study found that 40% of adults between the ages of 50 and 64 without a heart diagnosis still had early signs of a condition called arteriosclerosis that put them at a greater risk of experiencing a heart attack. You can never start taking care of your ticker too early. Here are five ways you can stay on top of your heart health in 2022. Number one. Take it one step at a time. You don't need to tackle all of the goals at once. Look for ways to sneak some healthier options onto your plate and find 10 minutes in the day to stretch your legs between meetings. Simple changes do add up. Number two, aim for lean protein. We all know that fish and seafood are great sources of protein for your heart and research shows that cutting back on the amount of animal protein in your routine can be a game changer for heart health. In any case, avoiding processed meats and sticking to plant protein, seafood, and lean cuts of meat can help your heart stay in good shape. Number three, get physical. Balance food and calorie intake with physical activity to maintain a healthy weight. As long as you find a version of exercise that you enjoy, it doesn't matter what it is. Though research suggests that both strength training and high-intensity interval training are both excellent ways to protect your heart. Going for an afternoon walk has plenty of benefits to And especially for those who prefer something that is more low impact to stay in good shape. Number four, give yourself a break. Stress can be tough on the heart. Whether you have a pet whose presence helps you relax or a walking path that helps you clear your head, giving yourself time to enjoy the things that relax you can make a big difference. Try meditation if you're looking for a calming activity to add to your routine. And number five, make a plan. You don't have to meal prep every week if that's not your style, but you should think about meals and snacks ahead of time if you want to set yourself up for success. When you're making your next big grocery list, think about adding heart-healthy items like anti-inflammatory foods and whole grains to your cart. Or, if you'd like to start meal planning for the week but need some inspiration, take a look at simple ideas like meal plans for beginners online. It's really simple. Bottom line, you don't have to center healthy changes around a New Year's resolution this year. Instead, Focus on simple, manageable goals that you can take on day by day. Adding heart-healthy ingredients to your meals and taking care of yourself the best you can are both simple and effective ways to stay healthy in the new year. And then finally, the Miami Herald had an article that came out this last couple weeks ago called Serious Cognitive Problems See Abrupt Drop Among Older People, study says, and here is why. Katie Camaro wrote this article. There was an abrupt decline in the percentage of older Americans reporting serious problems with concentration, memory, and decision-making over a decade, particularly among women, according to a new study. Researchers are heralding the findings as very welcome news. From 2008 to 2017, the percentage of adults 65 years and older in the U.S. with serious cognitive issues dropped from 12.2% to 10%, according to researchers from Canada. In a hypothetical scenario, without the decline, an additional 1.1 million older people in the U.S. would have reported experiencing mental congestion, and older women appeared to drive much of the plunge. Serious cognitive problems declined 23% over a decade among women in the age group compared to 13% of men. The study published last year in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease found... The findings were based on 10 annual American community surveys conducted by the U.S. Census Bureau that included 5.4 million people in the U.S. ages 65 and older. We were astonished to see the prevalence of cognitive impairment decrease so sharply over a short period of time, study lead author said. This decline in the prevalence of serious cognitive problems has a cascade of benefits for older adults, their families, and caregivers health and long-term care system and the U.S. economy as a whole. Further research showed each additional year of formal education study participants had resulted in a lower risk of developing dementia, an umbrella term that includes several diseases and conditions that cause debilitating impairments in memory and concentration. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say cognitive decline is one of the earliest noticeable symptoms of dementia including Alzheimer's disease. Researchers said 60% of the decline in serious cognitive issues was attributable to generational differences in educational attainment. It appears that these increasing educational opportunities continue to pay dividends more than half a century later, according to the authors of the study. The short-term benefits of increased educational attainment for income, productivity, and the economy are well documented. But our research suggests that long-term benefits on later-life cognitive functioning are substantial. But education cannot explain the entirety of the decline in cognitive issues among older people, researchers said. It's possible that better nutrition declines in smoking and the phase-out of leaded gasoline, which previous research has connected to increased rates of dementia, also contributed to positive trends. Our findings for this study of over 5 million older Americans are definitely very welcome. Good news stories indicate a steep decline in the prevalence of cognitive impairment among older Americans. We still need to investigate whether these positive trends will continue in the decades ahead and why men's rates of improvements are lagging behind those of women. Although this study offers good news, other research suggests that opposites will occur over time. A 2018 CDC study estimated the number of people in the U.S. with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia will grow from about 6 million to 14 million by 2060. Researchers largely cited population growth among communities of color, particularly Hispanic people, for the increase because dementia disproportionately affects non-white, racial, and ethnic groups. Early diagnosis is key to helping people and their families cope with loss of memory, navigate the healthcare system, and plan for care in their future. Interesting stuff indeed. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Hypochondriacs Almanac. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email at hypoalmapodcast at gmail.com. We do occasionally post pictures and other interesting things on our Instagram feed. It's podcast.addict. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stories. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye!